So hello everybody and welcome back to Folk on Falcons, our final episode before Christmas, because we haven't got a game next week. I'm Philip Mundy and joining me is... Ian Joseph. As always, you can find us on social media. So on Facebook, if you just type in Folk on Falcons, you'll see our mugs. And again, for Twitter, simply at Folk on Falcons and you'll see the same picture again. Yes, confession I need to make this week. I didn't actually see the game. Um, I saw the three minutes of highlights that EPCR have kindly given us, but um, talking of EPCR, different sort of PCR, I ended up helping out at a, a wedding at the weekend, my other half does weddings and events, and their staff got all COVIDed up to the eyeballs, so um, I got roped in. So Friday night, instead of sitting down, paying my £5 to watch the match, I ended up putting out 12,000 fairy lights on Christmas trees, but that's that's a story for another day. Um Ian was there. Ian can tell us everything from the first second, the twelfth second, through to the end. But I think the first thing to note was there's a bit of a disappointing crowd out here. Yeah, I, actually, as soon as you say that, I'm not entirely sure what the crowd was. I think it was about three and a half, three and a half to four thousand. I mean, I've never been a huge, maybe a bit controversial this because I know a lot of people. Friday night is very popular. It's never been for me. Um, I always think you know you got to trail out, and then a Friday night when it's cold and dark. And, you know, you're not seeing a league game. It's only Worcester. I mean, obviously, if you're a season ticket like me and you're the sort of hardcore Falcons fans, it doesn't matter what the weather is, what day it is, what match it is. But obviously, for a lot of people, it does. Um, and I've never been a fan of the Friday night games. I think especially in these cup games, if you want to get the bigger crowds, then play it on a Sunday afternoon or Saturday afternoon. Again, I mean, maybe it's out their hands in terms of how the, the fixtures are done for TV and in terms of the other group games, but it was a disappointing crowd, but actually not really unexpected, I think, from from my point of view. So do you think it was purely a Friday night or the fact that people had given up after last time's Worcester affair on Friday night or people scared of the new Omicron variant or, or what? Do you th- or do you think it was just the season ticket holders bothered to turn up and not, not many other people bothered to buy a ticket? I think it's probably all you've listed above there. I've actually just checked. I have literally just done my last minute homework now and attendance was about three and a half hours so that's a good guess but um i think it's everything you've listed above actually i think combination of you know it's, it's only a european group game it's only worcester it's a cold dark night people are going to be out for your christmas parties or whatever which i had to dash to straight after for mine and yeah you know maybe if people are a bit scared about the new your new covid variant and they just haven't been playing that well recently so it's everything you've said that I think it's a combination of all the above has sort of been a factor really. But like I say, I'll say it again. I've never been a big fan of Friday night games and I've yet to see really any evidence to kind of change my mind really. But I think uh, one person who is a fan of Friday night games, there might be quite a few fans of it, is uh, Mr. Max Wright. Must have got it Max wrong from the kickoff. I think it was eight seconds of playing time or something and 12 seconds since the ref blew his whistle. So it's the quickest try in European history. It sounded like the, the even carried on getting better from there on in. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I watched I watched the kickoff. I looked down for about two seconds. And I suddenly saw right with the ball about a metre out from the, from the try line. Um, well, obviously, it was absolutely perfect start. I think in some ways it kind of set the tone as to what the game was going to be, kind of tight, fairly open. I don't think there was going to be a lot of particularly wonderful defence out there. And that kind of really proved... To be the case, um, but having said that, it, it was an odd game because it was entertaining in terms of there were obviously was a lot of tries, but there was a lot to kind of like pull your hair out. Really, again, looked very leaky in defence. Not quite the same as it has been the past few weeks down that down that right side. Um, they did get away a couple of times, but it wasn't quite as bad. But I think a lot of missed tackles 
Van der Merwe, now mention him. Um, so I, this is actually the first time I've ever seen him live in person. And I genuinely believe he's the biggest rugby player in the world. He was, <laughs> maybe it's just because I happen to be closer to him on that wing, you know, where I was sitting in the West Stand, but he's absolutely enormous. And with ball in hands, you can see why, you know, he does get the attention, does get picked for the Lions. And it is, you know, he was causing us all sorts of trouble. But I thought apart from with ball in hand, he didn't really kind of get himself round or make himself available much. We just sort of didn't really fancy it. But it was kind of through him and there's a couple of other individuals. I think their centres are pretty good as well, where they were making quite a bit of ground and we were missing tackles. And it was very sort of, oh, you know, here we go again. But credit to us, you know, I thought all our tries were really well taken. I thought generally when we did make visits into their 22, we we got points from it, which of course is pleasing, but there was a lot to work on. But at the end of the day, you know, it was all about winning and getting a good start in what is probably going to be a decently tough pool. Um, and I, I would arguably say that that Worcester game could potentially be the toughest game. And, you know, we got five points on that, so we couldn't really ask for more, really. So positive night, but still plenty of things to work on. But I suppose they got a week off, haven't they? Yeah, I have to admit, when I saw Van der Merwe on the uh, left wing and after our recent right-wing defensive performances, I did have a, a bit of a worry when I saw the team sheet. And then... When you watch the highlights, they're on they're online or three minutes of it. It's just the tries. It's not an extended highlights or anything. It looks like we actually played some quite good rugby. It looks like Burrell had a reasonably good performance in centre, although you only see the, the good parts. You don't see the full picture in these highlight reels, so you're never quite sure. But the tries we got, Mike Brown's as well, look, look like we played quite nice rugby. Yeah, well, I mean, that's my point about how, despite a lot of things to not be best pleased about, really, in terms of performance, all the tries were really good. I mean, even... The, the pick and go of the forwards one under the post, you know, that was still good sustained pressure, obviously not as flashy as a couple of the other ones. Um, but I mean, for some of their tries, I think, you know, it's, it's hard to put your finger on it because yes, we're looking at it from Falcon's perspective, but I think if you watch a team long enough, you kind of get an impression where we seem to have to work very hard for our tries. Yes, we scored four and yes, they're all very good, but we had to work hard for them. However, we just gifted a lot of Worcesters Again, similar to, to the league game, really. I mean, the one I think of in particular was that interception. And every time we we can't seem to kind of sustain a lead or kind of keep a hold on to it or kind of turn the screw, we kept getting pegged back all the time. And that that's, I guess, game management, something you have to work on. But rewinding it back a little bit when you mentioned Burrell, I thought Burrell was really, really good. I think he probably warranted man the last performance. But another one you mentioned, I thought Brown had his best performance for us for a decent while. Um, I think he did sort of one pass which probably shouldn't have done but apart from that he was really good under the high ball I thought his ball carry was good took his try really well Chick was brilliant in the breakdown got a couple of turnovers and Ferns as well again you know he did what he does best with his big heavy carries but um, so as I say it's a bit of a friendly game a lot to kind of chew on really but a lot of really good positives and I think some of the as you say Burrell and Brown there I think in particular because arguably you know they haven't been playing that well recently to see them kind of get back to the form we know we can produce was was really promising. Um, game management style was it a kick the ball away as much as we can sort of match or did we keep it in hand and had Dean Richards been listening to the podcast the other, like, last couple of weeks I've been ranting about aimless hoofing of it Yes, I know. I thought in the first half, there wasn't a lot of control from either side. I thought the emphasis was on us to have that control. And I think we had more of the ball. For There were periods where we were on top, but didn't really do much with it. Um, and then the second half, I actually thought that we did start to control a bit more. You could kind of see what we were trying to do a bit more. There, was, there wasn't there was much in the way of 
the box kicking. Uh, but then later on in the second half, I think again we kind of kind of played into their, into their hands a bit more with the box kicking, and it kind of went out the window a little bit. So it wasn't a particularly tactically astute performance, if I can put it that way. I think there was opportunities there to really kind of put Worcester to the sword. I mean, they weren't brilliant at all. But again, it, it exactly it's game management where we, we just let them back into it. We kind of played into their hands and it was a similar sort of often an attack where, you know, we'd go side to side a bit and they wouldn't really get anywhere. And I think some of the kicking we're doing the first half, again, kind of play into their hands. I think they they've got a really good fly half as well. And you given the ball to Vandermeer with a lot of space and time was never a good idea. And that's when it looked really frightening when players, so, what him in particular and a couple of other players kind of broke those tackles and, you know, sort of thing, oh, here we go against some more two or three on ones. But they got away with it and, you know, they, they won and uh, that's it, I suppose. Yeah, we've got five points, they got two. There's quite a lot of scores in the group, actually, because we're now second in the group, not first, because of the victory over in Italy. Yeah, so the, the other game that took place in our pool, which is Pool A, is Zebra and Biarritz. So uh, Biarritz won that 26-13, um, which I, I thought that would be an interesting game. I think maybe just kind of come down to the players were selected on the night, because if you look at that, those two teams, on paper, uh, you maybe sort of have Zebra winning that one. Biarritz are really struggling in the top 14. And, you, and of course, they have relegation there. So you may have sort of thought, well, you know, they'll kind of just play the reserves or whatever and be done with it. But credit to them. I mean, I haven't seen the, the highlights or anything, but I mean, a decent score. I mean, they got the got the bonus point. Um, bonus point away win is never something to be sort of sniffed at. So, yeah, um, points difference. There we are in second. But, of course, Biarritz are our next opponent. So lot can be decided presumably uh going forward after that game yeah the um the bonus points thing got me thinking over the weekend when i was taking down twelve thousand fairy lights after putting them up and um started wondering various things because on paper the falcons game was the most points that could be scored in a game there were two losing but uh points and there were five the victors so it was a seven point game so it got me thinking various things one of the things was it's actually better to draw three games with scoring four tries than it is to win two without bonus points, which is a bit of a funny one. You'd always think that two victories would be better than three more draws. But anyway, I also started thinking, if every team won and lost a game with five points or two points, over the course of a season, every single team in the league could average three and a half points a game and finish tied. Obviously, it's not going to happen, but I just got, maybe wonder whether it would ever kind of get close to every single team in the league finishing with over 100 points. With, if we look at the Premiership this season, there are 13 teams in the Premiership, and there are therefore 24 games. So you multiply 24 by three and a half. Every single team in the league could, in theory, end up on 84 points at the end of the season, that being enough to get uh, top four positions in the previous years. So a bit of a funny one. Um, and then for every team in the league to get over 100 points... How many games do we need? Mental maths in? I don't know. You're the accountant, not me. It'll be 29 games you'd have to play to get um, 101.5. So it'll be 101, 102 points. So in reality, you need a 16-team league. So that got me wondering about other tournaments where there might be 16 teams in a league. So if you look at Super Rugby, it's called Super 14 now. And it was Super 16. So I got my Wikipedia out and started doing some research. But when it was Super 16, what did it have? had two pools, so they didn't play their 30 games. So then I thought, well, what other leagues were there? And then I thought, well, the top 14 in France, that used to have 16 teams as well. It used to be the top 16, and that changed in 2004-05 
to 14 teams. But then I thought, wait a second, there's a different bonus point system in the French League to the to the English and the, the European Leagues. Are you going to tell me what it is, Ian, or am I going to have to tell you? No, you'll have to tell me, I think. So in France, instead of getting a bonus point when you score four tries, you get it if you beat your opposition and score... Or no, you don't even have to beat them. You get a bonus point if you score three more tries than your opponents. So that's why in France you get teams still trying when they've already scored six tries because their opponents have scored four, and then you get that seventh one to get three tries ahead. And I think that um, it actually makes it so that there's a bit more emphasis on scoring lots of tries as opposed to teams slacking off and putting a load of subs on once they get to their bonus point. And also, in France, you only need five points, not seven, to get a losing bonus point. So it used to be like here where you got within seven, but they changed it so now you've got people within five points to get your losing bonus point. If you were to score three more tries than your opponent to get the winning bonus point, for them to get within five points of you, they'd have to score an absolute ton of penalties. So in theory, you could win by four points, score three more tries than them, and they kicked all penalties, not scoring any tries themselves. But then I thought, well, there still used to be 16 there, so let's do some research. And once again, there were pools. And also, at that point in time, the French leagues had three points for a win, not four points. So that puts me back to square one again. So I kind of thought, well, I could go through all the professional rugby leagues at various parts of the world, but then I decided that I couldn't be bothered. Um, so I started looking a bit closer to home. And it turns out, in National League 2 North... You've got 16 teams in the league. Unfortunately, though, they cocked up this year and all the, they haven't um, all got an average of three and a half points a game. So I thought, oh, well, next season it might happen. But no, because next season, uh, levels three and four of the national t- structure is capped at um, 14 teams. They're reducing it down. So um, there you have it. There doesn't seem to be the chance in future that every single team in a league could finish above 100 points. You probably tell me at some point, some listener will tell me, there is a team some or a league somewhere where there are 16 teams in it and they all play each other and have a normal bonus point system. But I just think it'd be quite funny if there was that possibility that every single team averaged two and a half points a game. There you are. Have you got any on the tip of your tongue or top of your head that you can think of or bizarre quirks? I, don't know, I was just going to say, I think you've been taking down too many fairy lights. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> that's always a big bonus point, so isn't it? I mean, um, you do get sort of these funny, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily specifically point to a league as an example, but well, I guess I can point specifically to a team now. Think about it. Once I wrap my brains, London Irish, isn't it? You know, we're talking about that, about how, you know, you can draw goodness knows how many games and end up pretty high up in the league until obviously they beat us the other week ago. But that's the thing with bonus points, isn't it? You know, you can get all sorts of funny quirks happening with it. You know, it's, I think, you know, actually when, when you mentioned the France system, um, the reason I was a bit hesitant to not sound too stupid was I did, I was aware they did have some other different bonus point structure, but I couldn't remember what it was. Um, to be honest, I think I was as complicated enough as it is. Can you imagine having to work that out every week, you know, when you're sitting there, Freezing at Kingston Park, but um, well, I guess that's a fun with bonus points, isn't it? Because you get all these funny eventualities, and you know, it's, and I guess it makes it kind of hard to predict a league as well at times, isn't it? Because you just don't know how these bonus points are going to be spread out, and it's interesting one in terms of the how you get a bonus point for being three tries ahead of your opposition. I mean, that must make it really kind of like people must be flinging the ball out left, right, and centre in desperation for that bonus point, won't they? I guess. I mean, that's a, I don't know. If it's, it also raises the question: Is that really what, what you want the game to be? Does, well, does you start to get the pressure of, of the game is skewed because you're just trying to get you know your specific bonus point or something? There are a lot of games in the Premiership this season where the losing side has got a bonus point for scoring four tries, and what could have been an absolute thrashing turns into a relatively close affair. And it's not infrequent that you get teams that get two losing bonus points 
well, the winners get five, such as what happened the, the, uh, on Friday night with us. And in France, you do get these absolute thrashings where teams don't take their foot off the gas because if, if they do, then the other team will get a couple of tries back and suddenly they've lost their uh, winning bonus. So, so yeah, um, it's one of those things where, yeah, I'd taken down probably about 6,000 fairy lights by the time I started wondering. And then I got back to the hotel room later on and started doing some Wikipedia-ing, much to my other half's dismay. But um, yeah, there we go. I think I've I think I've cracked it. There are 16 team league. You could end up with every single team on 105 points at the end of the year. That'd be one for the, the statisticians to get stuck into, but obviously never going to happen. One other thing that's happened over the weekend or the last few days is the COVID mania's kicked off again. Um, I'm not going to pretend I've read the instructions inside out and what things should and shouldn't happen. But um, I have seen that there are various thresholds for when you need a COVID passport. One of them being if you have 4,000 people who aren't seated and then 10,000 people, everyone needs to be passport. I don't really understand the ins and outs of it, but Kingston Park's capacity is very close to 10,000 people. And would it be better for the Falcons on Boxing Day just to stop 50 fans coming in, see below the 10,000 limit, assuming it's going to be a sellout? And then they wouldn't have to go through the palaver of getting vaccine passport checks and everything like that. Yeah, so as much as I could sort of understand it, because of course this sort of all came out just before they were going to play on Friday. I mean, and then they said it would be introduced next week anyway. But anyway, I, it's enough for me to kind of prompt me to, to look it up. And it seems to, I think King's Park's going to be, I think unless you have an absolute sellout, as you say, you know, you're 50 over the 10,000, it's not going to apply. So I think it would only apply to a seated a seated stadium, or presumably obviously it's outside a seated stadium, of, with a capacity of over, or crowd, rather, of over 10,000. So unless they do have an absolute sellout, then it's not going to apply to not going to apply to us. I mean, could be, you know, if you go to the odd away game or whatever, like, well, for road, for example, might well, if, for those who are travelling down tonight, might well need to get your NHS app and get your COVID passport out for that. Um, but I think for Kingston Park, well, until or unless the, the guidance changes again, I think we're okay for COVID passports. Probably. Yeah, okay for now, I think, is the key. Um, don't hold your breath the way it's going, I think. Uh, everyone's getting a bit um, uptight about it, but we'll have to wait and see what happens. One thing that might not have escaped your attention in the game was something that we both think is a disgrace, and Ian's going to go into a bit more detail on. Yeah, I mean, for those who have seen the perhaps, well, unfortunate images, both on Falcon's social media and the website, I, they've still got it up, actually. I mean, I think someone should probably contact the club, but our, our winger, Ollie Lindsay Haig. It was a great try, and I thought his performance was pretty good. But I'm, I'm a, I think listeners may have to cover their ears. It's going to be very explicit. But unfortunately, he had tights on. And as far as I can tell, this is the first player in the history of the Falcons going back, you know, 180 odd years over his with um, Gosworth to worn tights. And I don't know. I think well, I'm sort of I don't know, I'm still a bit speechless, really. It's just it's not something you want to see. And I think it's a you don't want to see certainly Falcons players. I mean other clubs, you know, the softy southern clubs, you know, what do you expect? But I think, you know, we've got an, a we've got a reputation to sort of consider and uh, you know, I I was it was just it was disappointing. I, I can't really put it any other way. And you know, I just I don't know, I just hope the weather warms up so they don't have to wear them or even consider wearing them and uh, Terrible, terrible, isn't it? 
Well, he's not actually the first because we're cocky cocky wall in the week before he got booted in the face. So um, that's right. No, but well, maybe it's because I just tried to sort of push out my mind. All right, then he's the first try scorer. There you go. Oh, uh, yeah, that's it. Hang your head in shame. The first try scorer in 100 and whatever it is years of Falcons history to score a try wearing tights. Yeah, so two records broken this week. We've, we've got. Um, Newcastle Falcons, the fastest try in European rugby history. Um, what was it? 12 seconds or something like that? 12 seconds. And yeah. um, it's quite interesting that one, actually, because um, we also hold the record for the quickest try conceded in the Premiership. And if you remember the game against Leeds, it must be a good 15 years or so ago now, where Leeds took a kick-off. They didn't wait four seconds after the referee's whistle. They basically kicked the ball on the whistle, and it bounced nicely into some blonde chap, I can't remember his name's hands, he dived in straight into the posts after a couple of really, really poor tackles. I remember that was quite embarrassing when it happened. But yeah, we're on the right side of this record. Right then, so if we just do a roundup of the scores, I think um, what we'll do is we'll start with the Challenge Cup and then we'll move on to the, the Heimel Cup. We'll start with the important one, the Challenge Cup. Obviously, on Friday night, we beat uh, Worcester 31 points to 26 and Leon beat Gloucester 19 points to 13. On Saturday, also in our group, uh, Zebra lost 26 points to 13 against Biarritz whilst they were at home. And Perpignan beat uh, Dragons 22 points to 16. Saracens uh, lost to Edinburgh 21 points to 18 um, at Stonex. That's a bit of a turn-up compared to their, their league um, league form lately. And then finally on Saturday, Pau got beaten 33 points to 17 by London Irish at home or power at home in that one on on Sunday Sale beat Ospreys 21 points to 13 La Rochelle beat Glasgow 20 points to 13 Connacht beat Stade Francais 36 points to 9 Wasps lost 35 points to 14 against Munster and Castra lost 18 points to 20 wait a second also this fixture in the Champions Cup, not Challenge Cup. That was a bit of a mistake for me. Anyway, I'll tell you the Friday night fixture from the Champions Cup whilst I'm at it. That was Northampton again, absolutely thrashed by racing those two, 45 points to 14. And then in the Champions Cup on Saturday was Leinster 45, Bath 20. Bath still can't win anything. Clement Auvergne lost to Ulster, 23 points to 29. Exeter beat Montpellier, 42 points to 6. Cardiff 7, Toulouse 39, and Bordeaux lost to Leicester 13 points to 16. So that's, I think, maybe Leicester's closest fixture all season, actually, against Bordeaux. Um, I'm not going to go into the groups because I can't really be bothered and doesn't really tell you much after one game. So we'll just go into the uh, the more local fixtures. Um, in National League 1 North, Darlington beat Cinderford 26 points to 7. Um, another good day in National League 2 for Tyndale, uh, beating Bourneville. 48 points to 12, whereas Blade, unfortunately, still languishing towards the bottom. I think they're uh, second bottom at the minute in National League 2. Um, Leos to Chester, 33 points to 21. The North Premiership, North Premier as it's called, Annick lost to Macclesfield, 21 points to 12, whereas Billingham beat Rosendale, 10 points to 0. Nice low-scoring affair there. Uh, North 1 East, Morpeth beat Concert in a kind of northeast derby there, and Durham lost to Ilkley. Um, Durham North Ireland Division 1, uh, points all over the place. I think score of the weekend this week goes to Northern, who beat Acklam 94 points to 12. Um, something that you may or may not be aware of is that Ian plays from Northern very infrequently their first team, but there is a face that a lot of you will recognise playing for their first team, which might help them or might go some way to explaining that cricket score. Yeah, so someone you may recognise starting in, I think it's outside centre, 
uh, most of the time is Cooper Vuna. So Cooper Vuna is now playing on a Saturday morning afternoon for Northern. Um, so I think with, with him this is so uh, when I was making an effort to go down training for once for in pre-season, um, he was there. He's had a sort of bit of a coaching role. Um, obviously, he doesn't play for the Vulcans anymore. Hasn't been since. Um, he was released last season. But I think with, with Cooper Vuna, he, he, he did make a couple of appearances at the start of the season for Norman, or at least was in the training all the time. And then he went to play in Romania for a little while. Um, I think it was only two or three months, something like that. And he's come back. Um, obviously, he just wants to get a bit of game time. He just wants to play. I mean, fair enough. I mean, club is exactly going to turn down an sort of Australian international, are they? But I mean, it's... it's As you said the other day to me, you know, imagine, you know, you've, you've turned up, you've drag yourself out of bed for your, you know, for, for your Durban or Fumbling one match and then suddenly standing, you know, opposite you when you kick off is former Australian international and premiership rugby player Cooper Vuna. Um, yeah, so I think he's a, obviously a, a help to the club. Though I understand he's had a few sin binnings this season. So, you know, interesting. Carry, carry that over from a professional game. Um, but uh, now, I mean, obviously he's a great asset. But actually, on a personal note, I obviously want to have trained of him he's, he's been great and I think it's great that you do get these players who you know do want to kind of still partake in the sport at a, obviously at a grassroots level so you know great for him and great for the club I suppose yeah I'm just trying to think what it would have been like when when I was a spotty sick former player for Pontelan first team in that very same division I remember I played against uh, Northumbria uni first team once as a must have been 17 or 18 years old and that was terrifying but imagine coming up against someone that about eight months previously, he was playing in the Premiership. Barely worth thinking about the just how he had completely splat you into smithereens. Um, maybe that's why he's got Sinbin, just from absolutely splatting a bunch of uh, teenagers that don't really know what's going on around them. But um, yeah, it's, it could say it's a fall from grace. He could say it's really good that he's staying involved in local rugby in the region, but certainly um, benefiting Northern with that scoreline at the weekend. Elsewhere, a couple of postponements, not quite sure on the reasons. Horden and Peter Lee was postponed against Percy Park and Ashington's game against Wynn was also postponed. Not sure why. Maybe some listeners could tell us, um, but there we go. So I think that brings to a close Folk on Falcons for this week. We'll speak to you next in a fortnight because obviously we've got a week off next week and we've got the sale fixture on Boxing Day, which we can review. So I guess until then, Yuletide felicitations. Yeah, Merry Christmas, everyone.